0: Well, the message title is The People of Christmas. The People of Christmas. Last week I spoke on the places of Christmas. Now when you think about Christmas, if you count Jesus, and of course he's the central person of Christmas, there would really be seven people of significance. So you would have the three I'm speaking about today, Zacharias, Joseph, and Mary, and then of course you would have the shepherds, and you would have who? Simeon, and you would have Anna, a prophetess and you would have the magi no innkeeper right you say well why is that why skip the innkeeper because in all probability there was no inn, and we'll talk about that next week so not at least is the way we understand the story to go so today we're going to begin with Zacharias Zacharias was a priest he was one of many, some, some scholars estimate that at the time of Christ, there were about 20,000 priests in Israel. And they lived in specified towns all over the land, and they were the, the religious teachers. They were to be the teachers of the law. And they were to not only teach the law, they were to exemplify it, which many of them failed to do. There were a lot of corrupt priests. But in Luke 1.5, the narrative goes, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. And his name really means Yahweh remembers, or Yahweh has remembered. One thing we know about God, he is always faithful to his word, right? Amen. Always faithful. So this priest was named Zechariah. And it says, of the course of Abijah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous. And that, that word there is dechaos. Righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. Unlike many of those unfaithful priests at that time. And then it says, blameless. And that does not mean Sinless. Elders of the church are called to be blameless or above reproach in the eyes of people. And that's what blameless is. It's endeavoring to live above reproach. The Bible says that Noah was blameless, but he certainly wasn't sinless. Job was blameless, but not sinless. David is called blameless in the scriptures, but not sinless. And that word where it says righteous, dikaios in the Greek, defines the person who is morally upright in the sight of God or just. Luke will use that adjective in the next chapter to describe Simeon. And J.C. Ryle had this to say. He says, On the righteousness of Elizabeth and Zacharias, it matters little whether we interpret this righteousness as that which is imputed to all believers for their justification. Because that's how you're justified on the basis of faith, or that which is wrought inwardly in believers by the operation of the Holy Spirit for their sanctification. The two sorts of righteousness are never disjoined. There are none justified who are not sanctified, and there are none sanctified who are not justified. So it all starts with justification, right, which is a a one-time event happens in a moment. A person puts their faith in Christ, and Christ's righteousness is imputed or given to them. That's a righteousness that they do not have on their own. So it's an alien righteousness. Actually, Isaiah in chapter 64 says that all of our righteousness is what? Is, a, is as filthy rags. But once we are justified and have that righteousness by faith in Christ, then the process of sanctification occurs. So then God is endeavoring that our life would reflect the justification that we have received from Christ and we would be morally upright and just. And that's what was the case with Zacharias and Elizabeth. So the question then is, how were Old Testament Israelites declared righteous? Not by keeping the law, right? Because we know, as a matter of fact, That no one can do that. They would have to keep all of the law in its entirety. 613 commandments. Romans 4 5 says, To him that, what? Very important. To him that does not work, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or reckoned to him for righteousness. That's the imputed righteousness even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness, and this is very important, without works. You cannot work to attain a righteous standing with God. You must receive it by faith, and then you work. Then the works begin. So Luke 1, 5, we read verses 1 through 6 there, or 5 and 6. And then in verse 7, it says in Luke 1, And they had no child. That arrests your attention. It's intended to arrest your attention, Because it puts you on notice that something dramatic is about to happen. And they had no child right because it says elizabeth was barren and they were now well stricken in years they were past past the time of life that they could biologically have children so i'm sure this was something that they struggled with for many many years and i wonder how much of a reproach it was to elizabeth because you know many of the prevailing opinions in that day were was that well god blesses the righteous people and and if you don't have this blessing of children, then there's something may be wrong with you. God had not lost sight of them, had he? No, He didn't. And, and, and this is really challenged to all of us, that God chose a righteous man and a righteous woman to receive a special honor and blessing. Proverbs twenty one twenty one says, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor and honor. And then in first Samuel two thirty Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, saith to who? To Eli, whose sons were wicked. I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. Young people, if you want to to claim a promise in life for yourself, here it is. Them that honor me, I will honor. God will honor and bless your life if you honor him. But they that despise me, will be lightly esteemed. They will not receive the honor that God gives. So this was a tremendous announcement and is an announcement that brings great joy and we're told that many would rejoice at the birth of John. In verse eight, it says, it came to pass that while he, Zacharias, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense, When he went into the temple of the Lord. So from the outer court, he went into the inner court where the incense altar was there before the Holy of Holies. He could not enter. And he was going to offer incense up on that altar. Now, there were, according to the Old Testament law, 24 divisions of priests, which allowed each division or order or course to serve for two weeks each year. And they were chosen by lot the majority of the priests never had a chance in their whole lifetime to serve like Zacharias did. There were too many priests and not enough days to do this. But the priest who did do it could only do it once in his lifetime. So (laughs) this was the high point of the life of Zacharias. We need to understand that. This, this This was just the honor of honors to go in there and to light the incense at the altar. And it says in verse 10 of Luke 1, that the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. They were in the outer court. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, now, I mean, just imagine this scene. Just imagine as the, the incense and the smoke of the incense is going up and all of a sudden this glorious angelic being appears right there on the right side of the altar. And it says that when Zechariah saw him, he was, he was troubled. Some translations have the word startled. It's more than just being startled. It, the, the Greek actually denotes thrown into confusion. In other words, he, he was completely coming apart, in a sense, mentally, not being able to comprehend what was happening at that time. And then it says, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, you know, some very familiar words to us, just as Jesus said to, on numerous occasions, fear not. Fear not. What do you do with your fears? Life brings fears with us, many fears. What do we do with them? How do we process them as Christians? We have a very uncertain future. You're not sure of what tomorrow will bring. You may be greatly startled by news tomorrow. You might be troubled. You might be afraid. And you know, as believers, God's word is to us do not fear. Do not fear trust me. So the angel says, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. How long did he pray? How long did Elizabeth pray? How hard did they pray? When did they give up on praying? I'm reminded of the saying I wrote in my Bible a long time, delays are not always denials. Remember that. I could remember many times praying for something, praying for something, and right on the verge of giving up. And then God answered, and he is like that. Delays are not always denials. Thy prayer is heard, is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Why the rejoicing? It wasn't just because Elizabeth and Zacharias would no longer be childless. That was a very personal blessing to them. But the people would be rejoicing because the birth of John the Baptist signified that the Messiah was coming to Israel. Amen. The long-awaited Messiah is coming. The time is drawing near. History, history is unfolding And the woman is going to bring forth a son, as we will see, and call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Isaiah 41, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him crying in the wilderness... And that's where John the Baptist started out in the Judean wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So here is this fearless preacher going before the Lord Jesus Christ, calling Israel to national repentance, preparing the way for the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and that means Jehovah's messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, the Messiah. So the first messenger was, Jehovah's messenger was John the Baptist, who would announce the coming of, of the messenger of the covenant. That's the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, whom you delight in. Behold, he will come, saith the Lord of hosts. And then Zechariah gives a tremendous prophecy. We can't go, I don't have the time to go through everything, but in verse Luke one sixty-seven, he says, and his father, <clears throat> Zechariah, that's the father of John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And thou child, speaking of his son John, shall be called the prophet of the highest. Whoa! Lots of prophets in the Old Testament, right? But no greater prophet than who? John. That's what Jesus said, because he was the one who was going to say, Behold, the Lamb of God. He was the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. Amen. Even in the hard times of life, God shows us his tender mercies in many different ways. You know, but sometimes we're so caught up in the circumstances, we miss them. We miss the tender mercies of God, the mercies which are new every morning. That's what the scripture says. Through the tender of mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Wow. Those are... Pretty arresting words too, right? Everybody here this morning, no exceptions, is sitting in the shadow of death. Every one of us. I know your your Sunday school lesson, I was overhearing that. And he died. And he died. And he died. That's the biblical record. Nobody escapes. But it says right here, that he came to give light to them who are sitting in darkness and the whole world is in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace that only God can give. You know, I was thinking about this prophecy. I was thinking about Zacharias and Elizabeth and their life. And sometimes we fail to see that God has future blessings in store for us. Right? Little did they know that not only they would have a son, but who the son would be, the prophet of the highest. They received a, a, a privileged revelation about a great blessing to the nation of Israel and to all the world. Now, we do not have that kind of special revelation today, but we have a divinely inspired record Of all that God has in store for us as believers, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We have tremendous blessings in store for us because he sent his son into this world to die for our sins and by faith we have received that forgiveness of sin and we are justified in the sight of a holy God. Wow, that's the message, isn't it? Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him. And we do suffer with Him. Many suffered for His name's sake. Many lost their life for the name of Jesus Christ and the cause of the gospel. But he says we will all also be what? Glorified together with him. You can't have one without the other. First the suffering, then the glory. Second person that we want to focus on is Mary. Mary, Luke 126. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, to a virgin. The Greek word there is parthenos, parthenos. And it is the, the most precise word in the Greek language for a virgin. It's not talking about a, just a young woman. Mary was a very young woman. It's talking about a young woman who was a virgin, a Parthenos. And Matthew uses the same word. To a virgin espoused or betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, that means they were engaged. This was a legal engagement. The marriage only had to be consummated. He was at the house of David, and the virgin's name was Miriam, if you really want to be biblical about it, And the angel came in unto her, and he said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, he didn't say it like I, I said it. I can't imagine what this sounded like, this announcement. And what happened? And when she saw him, she was what? Troubled. <laughs> Troubled. She was as equally disturbed as Zacharias was. She was thrown into confusion or bewilderment at his saying. And she cast in her mind, and that means her mind was racing. Her thoughts were being turned over and over again as quickly as she can. What is this? What, what does all this mean? Imagine just a young girl, maybe fifteen years old, to have this happen to him. So she she cast in her mind what manner of greeting this would be, and what did the angel say? (laughs) What's God's word to us when we're in a state of confusion, trouble? Fear not, fear not, (laughs) fear not, Mary. For you have found favor with God. That will calm you down. Right? The Bible says Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says David found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Many of the Old Testament saints found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So she was highly favored. Here's the scripture for you. Ephesians 1.5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It's one of the five verses in the New Testament that mention predestination. And I will say, if you examine them carefully, not one speak of predestination to salvation. Not a single one. They all speak about predestination of blessings to those who were saved. And this is the blessing of adoption when we receive all the inheritance that God has for us as believers in Jesus Christ. And then it says in Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now watch this. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You know, a lot of people, that's what they want in life, right? They want acceptance. They're looking for acceptance. Listen, the only acceptance you and I really need is this one right here. We have been accepted in the beloved. Now I bring this to your attention because the word accepted there, that phrase, accepted in the beloved, is the same word as highly favored which was spoken of Mary. So Mary was highly favored. She, she, she was highly favored. We have been highly favored because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing. And then the angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. That's his rightful title. A lot of people were named Jesus, right, at that time. Very common name, even people today. But there was only one, right? HaMashiach. One Messiah he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give unto him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Mary knew this. She knew those scriptures. She knew the promises that God had made to David. And then Mary said to the angel, well, how is this going to be? The child that I'm going to bear is going to rule over the nation of Israel and, that, and the house of Jacob forever. The eternal son of David? How could this be? I don't know a man. I've never had a really intimate relationship with a man. And the angel in and said and answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you." <laughs> That's all you need to know, right? It's not of man. This is the work of the Holy Spirit of God Mary the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and then these words the power of the highest will overshadow or engulf you take over you therefore that holy one who will be born of you will be called the son of god Luke 137 Look at the scripture here up on the screen. For with God, nothing shall be what? Impossible. Listen, friends. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing that he just wants to do is impossible. The only thing that God cannot do is fail. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me, according to thy word and the angel departed from her she was just saying i'm your servant i'm i'm just this, this servant girl your handmaid lord but you know mary's bewilderment it says trouble at, at at her at the saying is understandable right we all get that her her bewilderment is understandable her faith is amazing Be it unto me, just as you said, according to your word. And then she exalts the Lord. And God exalts the humble, the Bible says, and he resists the proud. Verse 48 of Luke 1, For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations will call me blessed. You know, Luke's gospel is dominated by the contrast between the mighty and the lowly. God exalts the lowly and God puts down the mighty. And it's amazing to me that he uses such ordinary people. Such ordinary people. Such lowly people in life. Like a Joseph. Like a Mary. Like shepherds. Like, like Simeon and like Anna. We'll talk about them next week. Now, Mary was blessed among women. She was not blessed above women. She was was not elevated in the Scripture to to a near goddess-like person. She received great grace from the Lord, but she is not the dispenser of all graces. She was in her own testimony in need of a Savior. She was not conceived without sin, Catholics call immaculate conception. And she was not bodily assumed up into heaven. She is not the co-redemptrix. That is the Catholic Mary, not the biblical Mary. And we honor her, right? Rightly so. Because God honors her. God says you're highly favored. What a unique privilege. But we don't pray to her. We pray to what? God through Christ. He is our intercessor, our only intercessor. He is our great high priest, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Mary was a godly, godly woman, but she is not the woman that the Catholic Church has elevated her to be. Joseph, Joseph, Matthew one. You know, some people have called Matthew one the forgotten chapter of Christmas because of the long list of names. I think there's forty one there in the historical record of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus is traced through Joseph. Luke traces it through Mary. And in so doing, he establishes Jesus as the royal heir to the throne of David. Now, prophetically, Abraham was the first through whom Messiah would come. We looked at this last week, Genesis twelve three, In thee... Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Blessed with salvation. Blessed with salvation. But you know, Matthew begins this way. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is David listed before Abraham? When he came long after Abraham. Shouldn't it say, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David? Why did David come first in the listing here? Because the Messiah would be born of royal descent. That's the emphasis. He would be the son of David. Now, prophetically, David was the last through whom Messiah would come. Abraham I mentioned. Jesus, we know, was, was the heir to the throne of who? The throne of David, 2 Samuel 7, 16, the covenant we looked at last week. Thine house and thy kingdom will be established forever before thee, thy throne will be established forever. And this is interesting in Matthew 1, verse 16. It says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, and this is important, of whom. And in the Greek that's a feminine singular pronoun. Very significant. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Jesus was not born of Joseph, only of Mary, of him, of of her. Now, you know and I know, and there's a lot of stories and legends about Joseph, but he's not prominent in the biblical record, is he? Not prominent at all. Little is known about him other than the facts of Christ's birth and the fact that he, that he was a carpenter's son. And that, that term has been disputed by the scholastics as well. It says in Matthew 13.55, speaking of Jesus, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Miriam and his brethren? Jesus had brothers, Half-brothers, after, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph assumed a normal marital relationship. It says she knew not, she knew not you know, her Joseph until the Messiah was born, until Jesus was born. So it mentions these brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and then in verse 56 of Matthew 13, and it says, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Carpenter. That's a good trade, right? Carpenter. The Greek word is tektōn and it's often applied to somebody who worked with wood, a stonemason, somebody who worked with stone and somebody who worked with metals. It included all of that. Now my own personal view is that Joseph knew all of those. He worked with all of them, wood, stone and metals, and that's what they did in their carpenter shop. But we don't we don't know anything much more about Joseph. He disappears. There's a little news about him later on when Jesus was there in the temple. But after that, nothing. But let's consider the shocking news that he received. And and from this shocking news, we learn that God can turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. I don't know how many moments like that you've had in your life. Most people, myself included, we have just few when God does some really significant thing, you know, we're going along our way in the ordinary days in, day in, days out of life, and then God breaks through. God breaks through. And they were without child. Zacharias and, and God broke through. Wow. Matthew 1.18, of the birth of Jesus Christ was in this way. When, as his mother Marian was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, like Zacharias, not willing to make a public example out of her, I mean, could he not have had her put to death? Right? According to the law? He was minded to put her away privately. So he, so he was in a dilemma, Joseph's dilemma. He was in a conflict between doing the right thing by God, who hated unrighteousness, Mary's perceived adultery, and showing kindness to her. And look, we always have to, no matter what, no matter what, as much as we would hate sin, we still have to be kind to the sinner, right? Right? We have to show the kindness and the love of God to people who are without Him. So it says in verse 20 while he thought on these things, and the idea here is deeply thought on these things, he was troubled by all of these things. How can you sleep? Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Are you getting the message? Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God is in all of this, right? In the fullness of time, what? God sent forth His Son born of a woman. Born under the law to what? To redeem those who are under the law. All of us under the curse of the law that we could not keep, our sins. God initiates his work of redemption. From beginning to end, Matthew one twenty one, And she will bring forth a son, and she will call his name Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, and this is speaking of Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Hebrew word is Alma. means a young woman, but the New Testament interprets it for us as what? Parthenos, a virgin. Behold, a virgin, a Parthenos, will be with child and will bring forth a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is, by interpretation, God with us. God with us. I like what it says. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Fulfilled. That's a passive verb in the Greek. You're really excited about that, right? You ought to be. You ought to be because it means this is God and God alone. This is God's doing. No human being could have ever brought this about. All that was involved in bringing the Messiah into the world. So I said, "You know, Mary was bewildered, thrown into confusion. Zecharias was bewildered, thrown into confusion. Joseph was bewildered, thrown into confusion. And I said, about Mary, what is amazing is not only her bewilderment, but her faith. Be it unto me according to thy word. And here we have Joseph's shocking obedience. Shocking. She shall bring forth a son and call his name. Yeshua and so forth. And then it says in verse 24, then Joseph being raised from the sleep did as the angel of the Lord had told him. And without fear of consequences, whatever people might say, the stigma that would be attached to him as long as he lived, he took unto him his wife. He just did what God told him to do. You know, there is a TV show called What Would You Do? What Would You Do? And it's a social experiment show which takes controversial situations to the streets of America to see how everyday citizens will react. What would you do if you were a very young man engaged to a very young woman and you never had a sexual relationship with her but she was pregnant. What would you do? A virginal conception. That, that, no one even thought of such a thing. That's an impossibility. The angel was asking Joseph to believe the impossible. To trust the God of the impossible. Just as he told Mary, with God all things are possible. What doubts are you holding in your pocket? What doubts are you holding on to? Now, God doesn't answer every prayer that we pray the way we want it to be answered. But oftentimes, the, thing, the reason why things are not answered are twofold. One, because of sin in our life. And two, because of unbelief. Because we just, we just fail when it comes to trusting in the God of the impossible. We kind of write it off. This is just the way it's going to be. I have to live with it. And listen, sometimes we do have to live with things that we cannot change. But I just have to wonder how many times, how many blessings do we miss because of those doubts that we're holding on to in our pocket. Cranfield said, the virginal conception attests the fact that God's redemption of his creation was by grace alone. Our humanity, represented by Mary, does nothing more than just accept. And even that acceptance is God's gracious gift. She just receives it. She just laid hold of this pronouncement from God. And Joseph had to accept God's gracious gift as well. He had, he had absolute faith in God to do the impossible, and he acted upon it. He took Mary as his, as his wife. And as I said earlier, the last occurrence of the mention of Joseph was when Jesus was 12 years old in the temple. The evidence from Scripture seems to be that Joseph died before Jesus ever began his public ministry. He lived a righteous but a short life, and better to live a righteous and short life than a long life as a sinner, right? It's not, a, it's not how long you, will, uh, you li- will live, it's how well you will live in the sight of God. Joseph made no biblical headlines other than what we have here, The virgin birth makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. And I think the real significance of the virgin birth is this. The virgin birth served as a sign of the uniqueness of the person who was born And this is why the scripture calls him the only begotten monogenes, The only begotten son of God. It's not referring to human birth. It's God's way of telling us the only son of a kind. The only one of a kind. Perfect deity and perfect humanity. The mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. From the early 2nd century, the virgin birth was established and is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith and has been defended as such against the critics who have attacked it as impossible. Because they don't believe God can do miracles. That's what the liberals are all about. I don't even know why they call themselves Christians. I mean, why would you even hang on to some type of a belief system if if God cannot do the impossible. And God is not miraculous. It's been preserved in the Apostles' Creed, 117, Ignatius, 110, Justin Martyr's Writings, 150, the Writings of Irenaeus in 170, Tatian in 170, Clement of Alexandria in 190, and Tertullian in the year 200. And every subsequent Christian writer has defended the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And I hope you will too. And give honor to the one to whom honor is due. The Lord Jesus Christ.